It is good to be back with you this morning. And uh, I'm not very creative. Last time I was here, I preached Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Today, I'm preaching Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. So if you want to open your Bible there, that's where we will get started. Ephesians chapter 2. And I'll read verses 11 through 22. Hear God's word. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... You who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let me pray. Father in heaven, these are your very words. Please give us open hearts to receive them, to understand them, and to apply them appropriately. I pray that you would direct my words so that they are helpful to this congregation and honoring to you, accurate from your word and applicable to this congregation. I ask for your help in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of this message is Unity Through Identity. Unity Through Identity, because that's what those verses that I just read are all about. And I just want you to consider with me for a few moments the ways that we identify ourselves and the impact that has on our unity or division. I'll start with a light-hearted example. Do you all remember those uh, commercials that used to run on TV? Get a Mac, right? This is an advertisement for Macintosh computers, and you had the the young, cool actor who represented the Mac user, and then you had the nerdy guy in the suit with the glasses who represented the PC user. Now, now what was behind that, that marketing strategy? 
Identity. Here's the identity of the Mac user, hip and cool. Now, here's the identity of the PC user, nerdy and out of style. What they were trying to do was create a community of Mac users around a shared identity, and I think they were effective at it. Right, Bo? There's this community of Mac and Apple people who see each other at expensive coffee shops and and high-five one another with their, their new iPhone 615 or whatever's out now. And then the rest of us PC users, we just wear our glasses and our our shirts and slacks, I guess, and go buy McDonald's for a dollar coffee. (laughs) It's unity through a shared identity. Here's who you are, there's a community around that. So for the not so light-hearted example, it's pretty obvious, our country. There's division, right? What's causing the division? It's identity, right? We identify ourselves politically and socially and create this us versus them dialogue, right? So I guess there is, in a sense, there's unity around identities that then creates division around those identities. So I am fill in the blank, you are fill in the blank. Republican, Democrat, left, right, Fox News, CNN. (laughs) It's all about identity, and it creates unity as well as division. So here's the big idea I want us to consider from this passage of Scripture. The way you view your identity will determine the degree of unity or division you experience. So let me bring it to HCC. Can I call you HCC? That's, that's okay, shorthand. The kind of unity and the depth of unity HCC will experience is dependent upon how you all view your identity. Do you see yourselves in Christ or do you identify some other way? I saw a church advertisement one time that said this, which, by the way, a church advertisement just feels wrong to me in a lot of ways, but that's just a personal opinion. But here's what this church advertisement said. This ain't your grandma's church. Because this church was trying to be hip. They had cool music rather than hymns. The pastor gave entertaining talks, not sermons. That's, you know... Boring and old-fashioned. They wore jeans instead of dressing up. So that church was identifying themselves based on what? Style. Generational preferences. And was determining unity or division based on things that have nothing to do with Christ. In fact, if it's not my grandma's church, I don't want any part of it. The church is supposed to compose everybody who's in Christ. It doesn't matter what you wear, right? How about this? Uh, I think a temptation for for us, conservative Midwesterners, our our churches, a temptation would be to, to primarily identify ourselves with political or social agendas, fighting a cultural war, 
Is that how we should identify ourselves? And let me just say, I realize the Bible addresses those things. And I would be willing to bet my ballot looked a lot like yours this past November. But, but as a congregation, are you supposed to identify yourself primarily with a political or social agenda? Or in Christ? If you want to honor God as a congregation, you must seek unity through a shared identity, and that identity is who you are in Christ. That's the only identity that can unite beyond the superficial and unite in such a way that properly represents Christ to the world. So in the verses that we're studying, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, we're gonna see three reminders, three reminders about our identity that encourage unity in Christ. Let me say that again and write this down. Three reminders about our identity that encourage unity in Christ. This passage began with the word, therefore. Now, those of you Bible students, what should you do when you see the word, therefore? Ask what it's, therefore, amen, I like it. Therefore links these verses to the verses that I preached here a few weeks ago, which you all remember every word that I spoke. Right, these two paragraphs, one through 10, 11 through 22, share many parallels. Both emphasize the desperate condition of non-Christians. You remember verses one through three of chapter two? You are what in your sins and transgressions? Dead. Does it get any worse than that? That's a desperate condition to be in apart from Christ. And there's a parallel in verses 11 through 12 here. Uh, both, both passages also emphasize God's gracious intervention in Christ on our behalf. We'll see that. And also the new identity that results from being in Christ. What's really significant, I just want you to look back just one verse to, to chapter two, verse 10, Ephesians 2.10. This is an especially significant link between these two passages. It says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now think about that. That's a statement about an identity, isn't it? This is who we are. We are God's workmanship. And notice that, just, that isn't just addressing you personally, privately, individually. It says we are because understand this, salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ isn't just about you personally, individually, going to heaven when you die. If you're saved from your sin, you are also saved into God's workmanship, his people. There is a, a community of people that you, by default, become a part of. And I'll just say this, it's true that going to church doesn't make you a Christian, but if you are a Christian, you will be involved in a church. Why? That's your identity in Christ. You're united to him by faith and by default, automatically, you're united to that group of people who are God's workmanship, those created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
So with that said, in order to encourage unity in Christ, let's consider three reminders about our identity found in these verses. I'll begin with the first reminder. That is this, remember your former identity. Remember your former identity. We see that in verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was your former identity. We are to remember this, it's a, it's a command. Now, as we read that, you might be confused by this discussion of Jews and Gentiles, which is just non-Jewish people. The circumcised and the uncircumcised, that seems a rather odd way to identify groups of people. But here's what's going on. The biggest challenge to unity in churches when the New Testament was being written was integrating Gentiles into the church with Jews. There was a racial and spiritual divide between the two groups. Circumcision was the Jews' covenant symbol. The men received it, marking their identity as God's covenant people with his blessing. So in Genesis 17, verses nine through 14, God establishes circumcision with Abraham. He's made the Abrahamic covenant, right? Promising land, seed, and blessing. And he's establishing this identity marker with him. And in verse 14, God says this, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So Gentiles, non-Jewish people, being uncircumcised, they were therefore divided from God. His people, his blessing, they didn't share in that identity. Later on, the Mosaic Covenant would be established with its detailed laws that served to separate Israel from Gentile nations with prohibitions against intermarriage. Rituals that promoted Israelite cleanness in contrast with Gentile uncleanness, right, brother? That's coming up. I'm sure you're looking forward to that reading in your, your daily Bible study. There were ways that Gentiles could become a part of Israel by going through a process, but still it remained. There was a significant and deep racial, cultural, and spiritual divide between Jews and Gentiles. And it was quite a challenge when the New Testament church was being established to bring these, these two together as one. And it was all because of what? Identity. How are you identified? Having that identity as outsiders meant five terrible things for Gentiles and really we share in this as well. 
Paul notes the Gentiles were separated from Christ. That meant no hope of a Messiah, no hope of sharing in his kingdom. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, meaning they were estranged from the chosen people of God and all the privileges that went with it. Third, they were strangers to the covenants of promise. Think about the great promises made to Abraham. David, the the promise of the new covenant. You're outside, you have no share in those promises. They had no hope. And fifth, they were without God in the world. I mean, besides that, it was great. It's a grim description, right? Very similar to that description we read a few weeks ago in verses one through three, right? And understand that apart from Christ, that is who you are. You are without hope and without God in the world. There is something subtle in these verses that we better not overlook. Paul mentions that circumcision is made in the flesh by human hands. In other words, any male could get this physical marker Um, Even Abraham's son, Ishmael, who was outside of the covenant people, was circumcised. So, So circumcision wasn't something that God works in us. It was something man performed on his exterior. It doesn't change the heart. It doesn't transform one who is dead in sin to alive in Christ. Because the thing that really divides us from God and and his blessing, the thing that divides people from one another, it it isn't just racism. It it isn't just an extra, it's sin. (laughs) The reason that you and I are born into this world separated from God, due his wrath, is because in our heart, heart of hearts, we're rebellious towards God. We don't want to obey him. We don't want to be part of his covenant people. We, We don't care to love one another. It's not a bodily mark. It's sin in our hearts that causes us to be without hope and without God in the world. And the same is true. What what causes division in in churches? What causes division among people? It's, It's our sinful, selfish desires. James 4 says those sinful desires in your heart, they they wage war, creates conflict. So the issue with our our former identity before Christ saved us, the issue with that is that we were sinners against a holy God, not caring to be in covenant with him, not wanting to be at peace with his people. And so the command in these verses is remember that. Remember who you were. You say, well, why, why remember that's negative and discouraging. We're supposed to think about positive and encouraging. Why, why remember this? Because when you remember who you were, it gives you a greater appreciation for what? Who you are now. When you remember who you were, it's humbling. And when you're humbled by reflecting on who you were, it promotes unity within the congregation among the people of God. For the congregation of HCC to be unified, there needs to be a shared appreciation of, you know what, we used to be that way, but we aren't anymore. So we are humbled and thankful together. 
And I would say, based on these verses, we also need to be careful that we don't use old identity markers which divide. So for the Jew to call a Gentile uncircumcised, that was an old identity marker, obsolete. And for us to to identify others based on a, a strictly earthly, temporal label, which serves to divide us, that, that's no longer in play. That's who we were, but it's not now who we are. That has been changed. So the first reminder about our identity that encourages unity in Christ is remember your former identity. The second reminder found in verses 13 through 18 is this. Remember how Christ made peace. As sinners, we're, we're separated from God. We don't have peace with him. As sinners, we're divided from one another. We don't have peace with each other. So we need to remember how Christ made peace. That affects how we view our identity. So let me read verses 13 through 18. It says, but now in Christ Jesus. That, doesn't that sound a lot like verse four? But God right? Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, that's your old identity, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Why? Because through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, again, I've I've already mentioned Paul has been addressing the division between Jew and Gentile, and and now he wants to remind these congregations, he is writing to how Christ made peace between those two ethnic groups. Christ makes peace between God and man, right? You could say vertically, which results then in peace between man and man horizontally. And at the center of Christ making peace is his death on the cross. Did you catch that in these verses? Jesus' death on the cross is is not just about you individually. His death on the cross is about us corporately, you as a congregation. We saw it in verse 13, it mentioned the blood of Christ. We saw it in verse 14, it talked about his flesh. Verse 16 says it's through the cross that this peace is made. It's all about the cross of Christ, isn't it? Jesus' death on the cross changes how we view one another's identity. Gentiles who were once far away from both God and the Jewish people have been brought near through the death of Christ on the cross. They have come near to God and those Jews who were believers by means of Christ's sacrificial death. And so again, I just want to emphasize, I've 
grown up around churches, been, been involved in ministry, a lot of the times we think very individualistic about church or about Christ, about the gospel. We think, I hear this all the time, you probably do too, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I don't need to go to church to worship God. Here's what's at stake. Christ's death on the cross and what it means not only for you privately with God, but you also corporately with other believers. A major part of of God's design for the death of Christ is to reconcile you with God and to reconcile you with others who are in Christ as well. And that, that theme, that message is highlighted in verses 14 through 16. Jesus' death does more than just give individuals peace with God. It also creates a new, unified man, humanity, who enjoys peace with God and each other. So so how did he do it? How did he do it? The way that Jesus unites Jews and Gentiles or all believers is by making both groups into one. To do that, he had to, it says, break down the barrier of the dividing wall. So what's that talking about? Well, well, God, again, had commanded Israel to remain separate from other nations in order to protect their identity, to protect them from idolatry and immorality. And since God established that barrier, God alone is the one who can remove it, right? And that's exactly what Jesus did. He fulfilled the the demands of the Mosaic law through his perfect life of obedience and then he paid the penalty of the law through his death on the cross. And by doing so, he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Now, Now keep following with me. Here's what's going on. Jesus removed the barrier separating Jews and Gentiles by removing the law that contained those commandments and ordinances which separated Jews from Gentiles. So think about just your experience reading through Leviticus, those really, really detailed food laws. That was about protecting that identity, keeping separate. The the Sabbath restrictions, circumcision, which we've talked about, all those things were about separating God's people from those not God's people. But when Jesus died on the cross, he abolished all of that. That Mosaic covenant, those Mosaic laws serving to separate Jew from Gentile, those have been replaced with the new covenant and his blood. Right? You, you celebrate the Lord's Supper, I trust. This is my blood, which is what? The blood of the new covenant. We're no longer under the Mosaic covenant. We, Jews, Gentiles, all believers, are one in Christ in the new covenant. So Jews and Gentiles don't remain separate, but instead all believers have been reconciled to God in one body, it says in verse 16. That one body isn't a reference to the physical body of Christ, it's a reference to the one body of Christ, the church. Are we, are we separate entities? Is there a messianic Jewish church, a black church? 
No, there's one church. Reconciled to God and one another. We are one new single spiritual entity. And it's all because Christ's death on the cross. So so let me just get down to it. If a congregation is divided because it identifies itself apart from Christ and his work on the cross, it is an insult to him and to what he accomplished in his death. It misrepresents his cross and what he did. When there is division and hostility within a congregation, it it sends a message to the world that the cross isn't all that great. But on the other hand, when a congregation displays the peace of Christ, when people within it are reconciled to God and to one another, you show the world that Christ is real, that through the cross, the cross of Christ, things are changed, that true eternal peace is coming. You show the world through your, your unity in Christ that Colossians 1.20 is true. Just hear this verse. It says that through Christ, God is reconciling to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now don't miss this. The entire universe will one day be redeemed and at peace with God through Christ and his cross. How does HCC give evidence that God is going to accomplish that work? How do you show the world that through the cross, God is reconciling every single thing to himself, making all things one? You show it by being united in Christ, by having a shared identity in him, having a shared identity around the cross and who it makes you. Being saved isn't just about you privately with God. The cross of Jesus isn't just about you and your life and your eternal destination. It's about the people of God giving evidence that one day all things will be made new. There will be ultimate peace through Christ. Your relationships with one another give evidence of that final end towards which God is working. So to encourage unity in Christ, remember your former identity. Remember what Christ has done to make peace. And third, this is the result of what we've just seen. Remember your new identity. Remember your new identity. Let's read verses 19 through 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, right? That, that used to be your identity. No longer is it your identity. Here's who you are now. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's a pretty lofty identity, isn't it? Paul uses three different images here to present our shared identity in Christ as a people. Together, they emphasize that Christians are, again, God's new community, and that everyone who has a personal relationship with Jesus also has a relationship within his church. The first image that he mentioned there is political in nature. Gentiles who were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel are now fellow citizens with the saints. We are, we are citizens of a kingdom. Jesus Christ is our savior king and we are fellow citizens with the saints in his kingdom, right? That's who we are. Regardless of nationality, whenever you accept Christ as your king, you become, as it says in Philippians 3.20, a citizen of heaven. From heaven we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And it's a privilege, right, to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, amen? It's a a privilege. But there's also responsibilities that, that go along with citizenship as well, aren't there? We need to be good subjects of our king, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, praying that his kingdom would come and his will would be done. We also share a a common loyalty and allegiance with every other citizen in God's kingdom. What is our top allegiance as citizens of the kingdom of God? Our top allegiance is to our our heavenly king and his heavenly kingdom, isn't it? Back when I was a a pastor, we we had a flagpole in front of the church and we followed the the flag etiquette, right? So we had an American flag and it was supposed to be the highest on the pole and then we had a Christian flag underneath it. Well, one random day, we uh, had a voicemail on our church phone from a gentleman who anonymously called in, by the way, and said, you all are wrong. You got your, your flags in the wrong position, right? And and while I disagreed with the method he went about (laughs) communicating, and while I don't think the way that we display our flags is is ultimately how we show our allegiance to Christ, I, I do get the point, right? You get the point. Is our top allegiance to the United States of America? Our top allegiance is to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and our purpose as citizens of his kingdom is to extend his kingdom throughout the United States, but also to make disciples of all nations. And and Revelation, doesn't Revelation just beautifully depict that, that, that worship that takes place? Every tribe, tongue, and nation as one in Christ, worshiping God. That's our top allegiance. That's who we are as citizens of his kingdom. Secondly, we're we're members of the same family. We're citizens of the same kingdom. We're also members of the same family. It says we are members of God's household. We're, We're God's children, right? We have the same heavenly father, 
Christ is the son. Hebrews 2 says that he, he's our brother. And we're brothers and sisters in Christ. When we call each other brother and sister, we're, we're, we're saying something significant. That's important. We're truly related. God has made us one family. But note this. When a child is born, he doesn't get to pick his family, does he? Sometimes family members are a blessing. Sometimes they are a burden, correct? What's it like in the the household of God, the family of God? Very, very often, our brothers and sisters are a blessing. But sometimes we can be a burden to one another, can't we? It's not easy to get along. I know in my family, trying to decide what movie we're gonna watch, I mean, that's like an hour-long debate. We can't all agree. It's difficult to arrive at the same conclusion. But as members of God's family, that being our identity, we're obligated to live with and love one another based on what? Based on Christ. Based on who we are in him. Not because it's easy, but because that's who we are spiritually. That's why I think Paul writes in Ephesians 4.1, he says this, we are to bear with one another in love. Bear with one another in love. Not because it's easy, but because we share the same identity as children of God. We're fellow citizens in God's kingdom. We're fellow members in God's family. And then Paul's third description of our shared identity in Christ comes from a a religious context. All believers and, and, and people in a congregation together compose the same temple of God. That's what verses 20 through 22 are all about. It says, we are a a temple being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22 says, we are a dwelling place for God. That's a central theme throughout the Bible. The presence of God with his people. God was with Adam and Eve in the garden up until their rejection of him led to their eviction, we could say, from the garden. Later, God placed his presence in the tabernacle and the the temple, but once again, because of sin, God removed his presence from his people. Then as we just celebrated Christmas time, God tabernacled among us when Christ came. He was given the title Emmanuel, which means God with us. And now that Jesus has ascended to heaven, God places his presence where? In his temple. And who is his temple? We are. The very presence of the living God is housed in the midst of his people who gather together. It's a powerful image. It's one that should make us sober-minded when, certainly when we gather together for, for worship, God himself is among us. 
So remember, what's the point of this? (laughs) This is who you are in Christ. This is how you are to consider your identity as a church. This is how we are to view one another within the church. Fellow citizens of the same kingdom, members of the same family, and together, stones being built together as the same temple housing the very presence of God. So is that how you consider your identity as a congregation? Is that the shared identity that HCC is embracing together? As you grow in this, God will be pleased and you will represent Christ accurately to the world. So let me end where I started. The way you view your identity will determine the degree of unity or division that you experience. What honors God and best reflects his work in the world is the unity of this congregation in Christ, around the cross. That's why Paul said this in Ephesians chapter one, verses nine and 10, God is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Here it is to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What is the eternal purpose of God? What is the goal of his plan which will be fulfilled in the age to come? It's the unity of all things in Christ. So HCC, Be united in Christ. Remember your former identity. Remember how Christ has made peace. And remember your new identity in Christ. Let me pray with us. Father in heaven, your your word is so powerful. Certainly a whole lot more could could be said explained, applied from this passage. But I pray that your intent in Christ would be received by this congregation and that as one, they would give evidence to the surrounding community, to those who are, who are looking on, that your work of making all things one in Christ is on schedule. And that in fact, it's begun here in this people. Father, I pray that this lofty description of our identity in Christ would serve to elevate how we prioritize in our own hearts our involvement within the church. That any any division, any relationships where there is lacking peace, I pray, Lord, that through the gospel that peace would be made. Father, we thank you that even though it took the very blood, body, crucifixion of Christ for us to be at peace with you and one another. We thank you, Father, that it was your eternal plan for him to accomplish that. We're thankful for his sacrifice. We're thankful for who you've made us. Ask that you bless this congregation in Christ's name. Amen.
Well, I just want to encourage you. I believe, Bo, are we dismissing now? Okay, I just want to encourage you, if you'd like to speak more about Christ, his cross, I'd be glad to visit with you following the service. But thank you for putting up with me again this morning. God bless you. Be one in Christ, amen?